Well, you remember those times that you have been watching a movie, um, obviously not much at the theater these days, but, but when you've seen that action movie that literally has you sitting on the edge of your chair and wondering what is going to happen next and you, you kind of can't wait to see that? Remember when I was a kid growing up, it was the Indiana Jones movie. I loved those movies. And I'd be on the edge, of what's going to happen next? Is he going to get him? Or, you know, what you name it. Well, in a sense, that's where we find the Israelites right now. In a sense, sitting on the edge of their seats. But they're not watching from a distance uh, an action taking place. They are in the middle of it. And that's what we find as we look at the passage in um, Exodus chapter 12 today, the 10th plague that God brought upon the Egyptians. Now, we need to understand this was a defining moment for the Israelites. It was a defining moment that one they would never forget. In fact, God's Word tells us it was such a defining moment that when you look back at verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 12, here's what we read. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron... In the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, in the Jewish culture, I mean, this this event of the Passover reset everything. Not only did it change the trajectory of the lives of the Israelites, it changed their lives. And that's what we're going to look at this morning Two things and then an application at the end of of our response. But this morning as we see God coming in mighty power with this tenth plague upon uh, the land of Egypt, we see two things about God. We see God's justice and we see God's mercy. So what I hope you take this morning is a greater understanding of who God is, that he is a just God, but he's also a God filled with mercy Let's look at the justice of God first. We all know what it's like to be stirred up, don't we, when we encounter an injustice before us? I mean, you see a kid who's bullied at school. Maybe you were one of those at one time. And you look at that and you go, that's an injustice. That should not happen. When you see someone being taken advantage of, you know, we see the injustice of someone wrongfully losing their job. Some have experienced the injustice of abuse in various forms. And, you know, we've all witnessed, obviously clearly as of late, but it's been around forever, uh, the injustice of racism, not just here in America, but around the world. And so when we see an injustice, what do we do? We stand up and we say, something's got to be done. Something has got to take place. Someone's got to bring justice to stop all this injustice We see it all around, and we're the first to say justice has to be made, right? Well, in a sense, that's what we find happening in this section of the book of Exodus. Last week, we did a broad, sweeping view of chapters 7 through 11, a lot. Um, We saw the first nine plagues that God brought judgment upon the Egyptians, Pharaoh, and the gods of Egypt. And we see what's happening here is that God is being stirred up because he is seeing these Egyptians treat his people, the Israelites, with horrendous injustices. They've been in slavery 400 years, and this current Pharaoh king had had committed horrific genocide on the Israelites. And, And we look at this and we say, yes, justice needs to happen. 
I want you to hear God sees and he cares when injustices happen to us. Let me bring us back to Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. The very beginning, here's what we read. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who were in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. God heard, he saw, and being a just and holy God, he was coming now to do something about it. And so here's what we read. I'm going to jump back to Exodus 11, verses 4 through 6. So Moses said, thus the Lord says, about midnight I will go in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such, such as there has never been before. Look at the intensity now of this 10th plague. God's anger has been kindled yet again at the injustice, and now he was coming to bring justice. Friends, we need to know this about God, that he is a just and holy God. And because God is holy, he cannot stand and just turn a blind eye to the injustices that are committed against his people, which are ultimately committed against him. And so we can feel sure that just as you and I are stirred when we see injustices around, God is all the more. And we see in this passage that he's come to do something about it. And we look at this and we think, finally, Pharaoh's getting what he deserves, right? He's getting exactly what he deserves. It is a harsh punishment. But God is being just, doing something about the, the, the horrendous nature of sin. Now, I want you to think about this. We all want to see justice happen when we see an injustice committed around us. But what about when we ourselves commit injustice? Now, you may be thinking, okay, Robert, you're talking about Pharaoh here who had done all this horrible stuff. I'm not like that at all. And I would say, no, you haven't done that, neither have I. But what we need to see is this. An injustice is any sin committed against the holiness of God. That's an injustice. Any sin, no matter how big, like we saw in Pharaoh's life, or how small we might want to see it in our own lives. Anytime you and I sin against God, that is an injustice that is deserving God's justice. Paul wrote in Romans 3, 23, these words that many of y'all will be familiar with. He wrote, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All the sins that you and I do fall short of God's glory. And lest we think, you know, stuff we do is not that big of a deal, we need to own it, right? We need to own what we do. In Psalm 51, King David, the greatest king the Israelites had, had committed murder and uh, had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And in his moment of confession, listen to what David wrote. This is Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Look where David got. He recognized that that his sin was an offense before God and that God was just in what God was demanding. The thing you all need to see is this. We are all rebels in our hearts. Now, as I said in the first service, not all Miss Rebels, although I am one of those. You get it? Um, the reality is we are all rebels at our core. Every single one of us falls into these traps. We, we covet what somebody else has. We want it. We judge people with our thoughts and our words. We're all prone to bend the truth in various ways. And you know, as we looked at last week, we're all prone to give our worship to other gods, to counterfeit gods, to idols all around us, instead of giving our worship to God and God alone. I've got to paint this picture for us this morning because God's Word paints it for us. Again, you may not be like Pharaoh, you may not have done what David did, but every single one of us in this room have committed sins against God. And because of that, we stand under His judgment. Here's the hard truth. We all stand under the judgment of God. And as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, some of y'all will know this, the wages of sin is what? Death. And so we see the the justice of God coming in this scene with with this tenth plague, this this tenth plague that says that God was going to kill the firstborn of all in Egypt. And, And we read this, and we immediately go to, yeah, they're getting what they deserve. But I wonder if you've ever noticed this piece when reading this passage. Did you notice that the Israelites were included in this plague, in this judgment against God? Look at this in verse 12. Look what we read here. God said, For I will pass throughout the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute my judgment. And God says, I am the Lord. Who did he say he was going to bring judgment over? The firstborn of all in the land. Who lived in the land of Egypt? The Israelites do. The reality is we are all under the same condemnation. The Israelites, here's the point, the Israelites were just as guilty as the Egyptians. The Israelites also worshipped the gods of Egypt. We read that in, in the book of Joshua at the very end as the, as the Israelites came into the promised land. Joshua gives them this charge. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that they served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So what we see is they too served the false gods. And so in this tenth plague, God who is just is bringing judgment against all in the land. But here's the beauty of who our God is. God is not only just, God is also a God of, I would say, probably unimaginable mercy. Do you know what God did? In the midst of this judgment coming across all the land, we read it in uh, in chapter 12 of Exodus, that God called the people to take a lamb. A male lamb, a year old, that was without blemish. And he said, at twilight, kill the lamb. 
And when you kill the lamb, put some of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your home. And then over the lintel of your home, put the blood as well. So that when God, the the angel of death, was going to pass over the land of Egypt and bring death to the firstborn in the whole land, he would see the blood on the doorposts of the Israelites and literally pass over them and bringing judgment to all of the others in the land of Egypt. Friends, here's what we need to see. Blood showed that death had taken place. When the angel of death went over the house of the Israelites, the angel saw, the Lord saw, that a violent death had already occurred. The death of a flawless lamb. And God in His mercy, not because they were better, not because they were less sinful, but God in His mercy had set these people apart for His own possession. And in order to show them the riches of His mercy, His justice had to be satisfied. And it was through that flawless lamb when its blood was shed And God's mercy came upon the people of Israel. Now, friends, I want you to see this. They did nothing to earn God's favor. They did nothing for God to pass over them. It wasn't because they were better. It wasn't because they lived a better life or or tried really hard to, to save themselves from God's justice because they knew their sin. It wasn't any of that. And you and I need to recognize that. Because we are so prone to fall into the trap that I can be good enough for God to love me. I can do enough good stuff to counter the bad, and on that scale, if there's enough good, then God's going to then accept me. And friends, I I have dear friends who have been Christians for a long time and wrestle, and I hear them talk and say, i got to make sure I'm living a good enough life. i got to make sure I'm doing it right. Because at the end, when I die, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. And friends, I want you to hear this today. You and I can't do anything to earn favor with God. The Israelites didn't. But what do you find? What do we find in this story? We find that God provided what they could not provide for themselves. God brought a substitute. God brought a substitute. Blood still had to be shed. But God provided the lamb that when the angel of death passed over, saw that blood had been shed, death had happened, and they were free. You know, when we read throughout the Old Testament, we read that that the Israelites had to over and over and over offer animal sacrifices to the Lord as a guilt offering for their sin. They had to do it over and over again. And did you know what that tells us? That it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. And so do you know what God did? God brought his own son to be the lamb who would be slain for you and me. One of the most amazing scenes in John's gospel is when John the Baptist is there And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up, and do you remember what John says the minute he sees Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, in his mercy, 
provided the lamb, his son, to be the one who would go in our place, friends, on the cross and give his life, shed his blood, so that all who'd come and and lay their lives, all who bow a knee to God, find themselves covered in the blood of Jesus. Now let me tell you what this blood does. This blood doesn't just forgive us of our sins. It does that. It doesn't just take our guilt and shame away. Oh, it does that. But you know what it also does? It gives us the righteousness of Jesus so that we in Christ stand as new people, as a new creation, a redeemed people, no longer under the judgment of God. Because on the cross, now listen, and some of you have heard this over and over, but let it, let it land with fresh words upon your ears and your heart today. Jesus, the Lamb of God, reconciles us to God, and on that cross, that great exchange where our sins were poured on him, he gave us his perfect righteousness. You see that? So that as a follower of Jesus, do you know what? You're not condemned anymore. You're forgiven. All the accusations that that Satan just lobs at you, those grenades that explode in our midst, disrupt our lives, those mean nothing anymore because in Christ you stand in the perfect righteousness so that when God sees you even today, yes, now, he sees you as perfectly covered in the blood of Christ, holy, without sin in his eyes. And that's the great substitute. That's the great substitute. Now here's the question. Here's what we're going to end on. What is our response then? What is our response to understanding the justice of God and the mercy of God? Three things very briefly. First is this, is to receive it. (laughs) Sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, it is, in a way. So my question to you this morning, have you received? Have you received the, the, the substitute? Have you received that Jesus has come to stand in your place And by his blood, through his wounds, you are healed and brought into a right relationship with God, seen as holy and righteous now. Have you received it? Here's what we read in 1 Peter 3.18. I love these words. For Christ also suffered once for sin. See, no more sacrifices need to be made because he did it once. Complete, it's over. For Christ also suffered once for for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? So that he might bring us to God. If you're wondering where you stand with him, if you're questioning, do I, have I done enough? The answer to that is you can never do enough, but come receive the substitute and it will all be paid for. If you haven't received him, my prayer is that you would. You would see that his justice was satisfied for you on the cross so that now in Christ you can stand in his complete righteousness. The second response is this. We don't just receive, but we remember. At the end of the section that we read this morning in Exodus 12, verse 14, we read these words. God said, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord that throughout your generations, as as a statute forever, you shall keep it 
as a feast. He's telling the Israelites who are on the edge of their seats watching, they found themselves engaged in the story. And now he's saying, something new is about to start. Your lives are going to change forever. And as they had, he's saying, remember. Remember the bondage that I brought you out of. Remember that you are no different than Pharaoh. Friends, we need to remember that. Remember that Jesus alone atones for our sins. You and I can't do anything to make ourselves worthy before the Lord then remember the blood of the Lamb. Remember the blood of the Lamb that was shed for you, that you are covered in that blood. And do you know what remembering does? It's our third thing. We're going to end with this passage. It's amazing. Remembering elicits worship. Friends, when we know the Lamb, when we are covered in the blood of the Lamb, let me tell you what, we can't keep quiet. But it all to stir in us overwhelming worship This is what we read in Revelation chapter 5, the very last book of the Bible. John's given this revelation from the Lord, and write this down, Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14. Here's the response. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders uh, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, And the elders fell down and worshiped. May that be our message. May that shine in our lives. May our our song be, Amen. The Lamb was slain. Friends, don't let that just remain with you in here today. Let that so stir in you that when you walk out of here, you will be different because you're covered in the blood. And that you've got a message to bring to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends. Let them know the blood has come, the lamb has come, that they would have life and live set free. Amen? Amen. God, would you do this among us? Amen.